0: Hey, my name is Cindra Kampoff and I'm a small town Minnesota gal, Minnesota nice as we like to say it, who followed her big dreams. I spent the last four years working as a mental coach for the Minnesota Vikings, working one-on-one with the players. I wrote a best-selling book about the mindset of the world's best, and I'm a keynote speaker and national leader in the field of sport and performance psychology. And I am obsessed with showing you exactly how to develop the mindset of the world's best so you can accomplish all your goals and dreams. So I'm over here following my big dreams and I'm here to inspire you and practically show you how to do the same. And you know, when I'm not working, you'll find me playing Miss Pac-Man. Yes, the 1980s game, Miss Pac-Man. So take your notepad out, buckle up, and let's go. This is the High Performance Mindset. Welcome to episode 351 with Jack Canfield. This is your host, Dr. Sindra Kampoff, and I am pumped that you are here. If you know that mindset is essential to your success, then you are in the right place. And today, I'm excited to share with you an interview I did with Jack Canfield. And we have transcribed this episode for you because it's so awesome. So you can head over to sindracampoffcom slash Jack. So that's C-I-N-D-R-A-K-A-M-P-H-O-F-F.com slash Jack. Or you can head over to drcindra.com and then look for Jack's episode to download the transcription. And I transcribed this for you because I'm hopeful that you will download it and study it. It is a gem. I read his book, Success Principles, about seven years ago, and it was by my bedside for over a year. I was reading it slowly, one day at a time, and helped me get through a really difficult time in my life. Right after my youngest son was born, I was so tired, trying to find myself, trying to get back to exercise, and just trying to feel good about myself. And I also remember at that time, struggling with a colleague at work, and Jack helped me get through. And my book, which I wrote about two years ago, follows his structure of the Success Principles book, super short chapters and tangible strategies so i am a jack canfield fan such a fan that i attended his one day seminar last year and purchased my boys vision boards so i am pumped to share with you this episode now if you haven't already you can also head over to drsindra.com/slash giveaway we are hosting a podcast giveaway where you can get 500 dollars in cash a free coaching session with me personally two subscriptions to the Beyond Grit Academy, and we're giving 50 people free best-selling hardcover Beyond Grit books. So lots of ways to win. If you haven't already, head over to drcindra.com giveaway. So that's com slash giveaway. Today's episode is with Jack Canfield. He is the co-creator of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. I'm sure you've heard of those and maybe read several of those books. He has developed 42 New York Times bestsellers and holds a Guinness Book World Record for having seven books on the New York Times bestseller list simultaneously. He is also the author of Success Principles and the new workbook that goes with the book called the Success Principles Workbook. Harvey McKay says if you read only one book this year, you have it in your hands. Known as America's number one success coach, Jack has studied and reported on what makes successful people different. Over the last 40 years, his compelling message, empowering energy, and personable coaching style has helped hundreds of thousands of individuals achieve their dreams. He has been a featured guest on more than a thousand radio and television programs in nearly every market worldwide. He lives in Santa Barbara, California, and in this episode, Jack and I talk about how to keep score on your success, ways to address your limiting beliefs, his mirror exercise to give yourself appreciation, why fail equals fall, how he overcame rejections from over 144 publishers for the first Chicken Soup for the Soul book, and his Rule of Five strategy. I can't wait to hear what you think about this interview. Before we jump in, I'm gonna read the review of the week. So Jeremy says, this podcast lives up to its name. It is a high-performance podcast in itself. The guests that Cinder brings on are phenomenal and Cinder does an amazing job of getting the best advice from her interviewees. I love both the interviews and the short, inspirational, thought-provoking segments that she airs twice a week. I am hooked. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I'm so grateful for your rating and review, and I'd love to read yours next week. Wherever you're listening, head over and leave a rating and review, and I will work to choose yours next week. Be sure to share this episode with a friend. It is a gem, so you can copy and paste the link wherever you are listening or take a screenshot, share it with a friend. I can't wait for more and more people to listen to this interview with Jack. It is phenomenal, and you can also share this on your Instagram stories and tag me at Sindra Campoff. All right, my friends, let's bring on Jack. So, a little bit how I came to know you. Um, I've read your books, Chicken Soup for the Soul, for a long time growing up, and about five years ago I picked up your success principles you can see I got a tab here (laughs) Uh, (laughs) studied it and it actually inspired me to, to write my own book I wanted to write my own book but I loved how you just had such short chapters in there, and I've been studying your work. I have your workbook here, which we're going to, a couple weeks ago, I bought your kids, the kids' vision boards on your website, so I have those boards we're going to make as a family. So first, That's I great. just want to say, like, thank you for being on, and you've made a really big impact in my life and where I am right now, so just want to start that and say thank you for all the work that you're doing in the world to make it a better place.
1: Oh, my pleasure, and thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. So what I want to start with, Jack, is just kind of give us a little insight into your passion and uh, what you're doing right now. I know you're called like the Americans, America's number one success coach, right? Uh, but tell us what you've been up to lately.
1: Well, like everyone else, I've been you know sequestered at home, sheltering at home, as they say. And so we've been doing a lot of online uh, courses. We've been doing a lot of uh, webinars, podcasts, interviews like this um we've developed some online coaching programs we are doing i I, I did a a virtual keynote to seven thousand people for the bacardi company um sitting right where i'm sitting now wearing the same shirt i'm wearing and um just you know no one would have thought we would have been doing that a year ago you know and so we've had to pivot our business uh but we're still doing training trainers you know one of my big passions is training people to do my work we now have 3,500 certified trainers around the world, Uh, but my goal is a million by 2030, so we have a long way to go. We're starting now to train trainers of trainers and develop country monitors like in India and Brazil and so forth so that we can uh, have a structure of people that are supporting each other in that, and I really believe that the success principles that I teach and that I write about are exactly what people need not only all the time, but especially right now, as we move through this pandemic, as we move through all the unrest that's in the world, as we're you know, seeing that happening as well. And I think people, if, if you apply these principles, it doesn't matter where you are, what you are, where you, what kind of business you're in, if you're unemployed right now, which one fourth of the American workforce is, if you're working from home, if you're transitioning, uh, if you're just coming out of college, we know a lot of college kids graduated and there were no jobs, no one was hiring, because they didn't know what the future was gonna be and they weren't bringing people into the office for onboarding and training and all of that. So so we're living in very, I think, confusing times for a lot of people, but if you apply these principles, I was just saying on an interview earlier today that you know I've had a lot of challenges in my life, divorce, companies that went bankrupt when I was in my 20s, mm-hmm. uh, losing a job, uh, you know, on and on it goes. And and, and I've, I've had employees steal from me and just disappear. I still know where they are, you know. Wow. And so it's been amazing. But the, what's kept me sane through all of that is just applying the principles. I always say if you always work the principles, the principles always work. Nice. So that's kind of where I am at the moment.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, we're going to dive into the principles, like specifically which ones can really help us right now. And, mm-hmm. You know, when I think about your career in 40 years, you've been doing this now, what do you think is the most important thing that you've done in your career to impact as many people as you have?
1: Well, I think two things. Number one, writing the books I've written. I mean, Chicken Soup for the Soul, has over 200 titles in it. We sold 500 million books. That's half a billion books. Yeah. Um, I think 300 million just in China. They're now using them as textbooks to teach English in middle school and high school with English on one page and Chinese on the other so they can refer back and forth. Um, India, we've sold over, I would say, 100 million books there. The United States, 150 million. So that's quite an accomplishment. And that's really established me, the Soup for the soul books probably introduce people to me as you said yourself having read them earlier on Mm -hmm. i mean i'm meeting people now in their 30s who are saying i read your books when i was in high school you know And, um, and 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 they tell me stories about how it helped them not commit suicide or help a friend through a breakup with a boyfriend or their mother through their chemotherapy and so that's been very gratifying and then the success principles book which has sold several million copies around the world um and all the trainers were training and then the trainings i do so and then you know I don't know how many videos we have on YouTube, but I bet it's close to a thousand. I mean, unless some big array blows up somewhere in the middle of the desert, those are going to be there 30 years from now. That's kind of weird to think about it. And uh, hopefully it'll still be valuable to people.
0: So what made you decide to write the success principles and specifically like the book? Let's talk about that first before we talk about the workbook.
1: Well, I was in bed one morning with my son, who I think was about 11 at the time.
2: Okay. And,
1: uh, and and we were talking, and he was on his computer playing a computer game, and I was doing probably, you know, searching the internet or answering emails or something. And he said to me, Dad, how come we live in a bigger house than all of my friends? <laughs> I okay. said, well, I probably because I make more money. And he said, well, why? And so I started to talk to him about these principles I live my life by. And uh, he was interested for a while, and then he got a little bored with it, so he went back to his game. But I was sitting there going, well, what are these principles exactly? Because I hadn't really codified them then. And so I started just making a list of all these different principles, you know. And I had 114 after about an hour. Wow. And I thought, I thought if I did three pages per principle that'd be about a three hundred page book that 'd be cool yeah. and then I realized it took longer to write up some of the principles in three pages, so we narrowed it down to sixty four in the first book and then sixty seven in the revised edition, which came out you know ten years later, two thousand and fifteen so um, and I, I really felt like I wrote this book almost to be done with teaching about success, but I learned that you never write a book and stop talking about it because then everyone wants you to talk about the book. Right. So I've been continuing to teach on it for you know all these years.
0: So when you think about the principles that you did put in the book, where did you learn them? Were those things that you read about or things that you just came to understand?
1: It was all of that. I think I, it all started when I was kind um, of in my early 20s. I went to work for a man named W. Clement Stone, who was a self-made multimillionaire worth about $600 million. So in today's inflationary standards, he'd be worth a billion. And he was a good friend of Napoleon Hill who wrote Think and Grow Rich. And he was teaching all these principles about believing it's possible, visualizing, using affirmations, setting goals, you know, planning your time, having your values clarified, having a clear vision, knowing what your life purpose is. So I took a weekend workshop with him and learned all these things. And then eventually he hired me to come work for him. So I spent two years at the Stone Foundation in this nonprofit called the Achievement Motivation Program, teaching people how to be motivated to achieve more. And then um, I went to a conference and someone said, you know, you should come back to university, get your doctorate. And I said, well, I really don't wanna, I I haven't saved any money. I'm usual middle, middle 20s, I'm just spending it on clothes and cars and things and he says um I'll get you a full scholarship okay that sounds cool so I went and got a every I actually did everything but get my doctorate I got a master's degree and wrote everything but my dissertation I wrote a book while I was a graduate student big mistake the book took off 400,000 copies and I'm thinking I don't need a degree I'm already doing all this work but I learned a lot there It was a program called psychological education. How do you educate people about psychological issues? So I became very, very sophisticated in all of that. And then I've read 3000 books. I actually added them up one day just because I'm obsessive sometimes. <laughs> and I've taken, I think over 600 seminars. I've watched thousands of hours of TED Talks and YouTube videos and, I, and I'm still learning constantly. I read a book or two every week.
0: So when you think about the success of the success principles in general, like what do you think it took for a book just to get to such a historic level like that? I think about, you know, the at least the over a million copies that this book sold itself. So huh? what do you think it was about the book that really people um, use and apply? Like what is it about the book that made it so popular in your opinion?
1: I think there are three things. One is there's there's a story in every chapter about the principle. Some of them are about my experience with it. Some are about other people's. The first edition, I had a lot of famous people. You know, John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, uh, Bill Gates, uh, you know, Steve Jobs, et cetera, generals from the Army, Olympic athletes, P- names people would recognize. And I thought they would go and say, hey, if it helped Bill Gates, it must work, because look what he did. well not everyone had that experience some people said well bill gates has different dna he's a genius i'm not john grace from another planet you know whatever and so i in the 10th anniversary edition Now that we'd had 10 years of experience of people using the principles, I replaced those stories with average people who had read the book and applied those principles and what their life had become. So I think it's much more accessible now to people. And um, so the story is Velcro to the mind. You know, I can give you a fact or a piece of data, even a a concept, and without a story related to it, it doesn't stick as well. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing is very practical strategies, very practical uh, things you can do in the book. And I wrote it, and here's another principle of success for authors and speakers, is with Chicken Soup for the Soul, every story you see in every book was read by anywhere from 10 to 40 people and graded on a scale of 1 to 10. How much did it move them? And then we put those scores in a spreadsheet, and anything that scored less than a 9 never got in the book. So by the time I wrote the success principles, I was using that same principle. So every chapter in that book was read by 10 or 20 people who said this is redundant, you said that before, uh, I don't understand this, um, you know, you, you, you give us five steps, but something's missing here. So it had a lot of feedback to help make it readable and uh, make it understandable. And I, I remember spending hours sometimes just rewriting a chapter. Some of those chapters were rewritten six times. And so I think that they're, they're relatable, they're easy to read, they're understandable. And um, I have quotes all throughout the book that are kind of, one person said a quote is the most powerful wisdom you can express in the shortest number of words. So those, those little quotes kind of are inspirational and capture the essence uh, of, of the work. So I think that's basically why it's been so successful.
0: I think for me, I agree with all of those things. And I think for me, it was really practical strategies that I could use to elevate my life and get unstuck. You know, sometimes, um, well, I think about when I was in school working on my PhD, you know, it's like we learn all these theories and then, but we can't really talk about it that way because people don't, won't understand it. So, right. you know, it's like so practical and easy to use, but things that we all struggle with, like fear and limiting beliefs and some of the things that will Continue talking about Uh, one of the questions I have is when you think about the workbook and I really like this as well I think it's really practical and great strategies in terms of like how to apply what you wrote in the success principles in your opinion Why do you think a workbook might even be a better tool than than a book?
1: Well, as you said, there's a lot of practical strategies in the actual first book the success principles but in the workbook what I did And let me say why I wrote the workbook and then why I think it's important to to use and how it's different. A lot of people read that first book and a lot of people transformed their lives. I mean, I know people that went from homeless, literally homeless to uh, billionaires in in, in 10 years. Billionaires, homeless to millionaire in three years. Uh, People that started their own business, people that wrote books like yourself that were inspired by that. So a lot of practical application and things that actually led to success. But I always noticed that people that attended my workshops and people that actually came to our coaching program seemed to do better faster. And I said, well, why is that? Well, they're engaging the material in a much more fundamental and intensive way. And so what we did at the workbook, I took a lot of the worksheets that we use in our workshops and a lot of the exercises we do and put them in the book. So and I wanted to test if someone had not read the first book. If they didn't know me, if they'd not attended any seminars on this, would it still work? So we found 35 people who were in that category. We had them take the workbook for about six months, work through it, give us feedback, and also tell us what happened for them. And we found it worked very, very well. And so
2: the exercises are simple, they're clear, they're actionable, and I recommend there's 17 chapters in the book, 17 principles that are the core principles for success. And if you spend a week with each principal in about four months which is about the time hopefully we'll be out of the, the shutdown with the coronavirus, yeah. you can literally transform your life. And so that's how that was designed. And the, and the exercises are ones that we've done in our seminars
1: for 20 and 30 years. And we know they work.
0: Yeah. So one of the experiences I had when I attended your seminar in Minneapolis and I was trying to decide, it was it about a year ago at this point. Do you remember when you were in Minneapolis a year, year and a half ago or something like that? So right. I was really looking forward to it and it was phenomenal and there was this one point at the beginning of the day and I'd read your book right I had studied what you talked about where you asked us to take 100% responsibility you know and uh and I thought well I take 100% responsibility like Jack's not talking to me right and then you had us pair up with someone where we you know paired up with somebody we didn't know and I remember Vividly, kind of going back and forth, and I think your prompt was, if I would take maybe five percent more responsibility or ten percent more responsibility, what would right. I do? And so as I was talking to this, you know, person I didn't know, I was like, well, I would run every day. Well, I, you know, if I took ten percent more responsibility, I would, um, I would eat better. And then all of a sudden, I realized I really wasn't taking a hundred percent responsibility. So it's really eye-opening for me is just to do that really practical exercise. Tell us what what does that mean to you to take 100% responsibility? And like, why do you think that's so essential in terms of success?
1: Well, thanks for remembering the exercise. That's in the book, the workbook. Um, I think it's important because, you know, I always say to people, you may remember me saying this in a seminar, how would you like to be married to someone who was 99% committed to monogamy? And most people say, not so much, you know, because that'd be about three days out of the year, you'd have to worry. And, um, you know, you want someone that's 100% committed. I I want my staff to be 100% committed to fulfilling their responsibilities, whatever they've agreed to in their work contract with me. Um, And so you want to make that same commitment to yourself that you're taking 100% responsibility for your health, your wealth your happiness, the mm-hmm. quality of your relationships, mm-hmm. you know, making a difference in the world in terms of the values you hold dear and important. So basically, I think that uh, you always have an out. You know, If I'm 100% committed to running every day, yeah. I don't have to have an argument with myself. Like today, when I woke up in Santa Barbara, it was raining. So I could easily say, well, it's raining. I don't think I want to go for a run. But I've already had that conversation, made a commitment. I'm going to run no matter what it's doing outside. And even in hotel rooms, I've run up and down the stairwells, you know, in the, in the hallways and stuff when I can't go outside, like if it's snowing in Minnesota where you live. Yeah. So <laughs> it it's can so get colder. Cold, no matter what. <laughs> As you know, I went to the Super Bowl a few years ago and came out around 10 o'clock at night. I thought I was going to die.
0: It was so cold that day.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. But I still got my exercise in because I was running inside wow. on a treadmill, you know. So I think the key is that once you've made 100% commitment, there's no out. You know, mm-hmm. and so what we know from research done at, at the Harvard School of Psychology and so places that basically, once you've not given yourself an out, life actually gets easier. Mm-hmm. There's less internal conflict. You just do what you have to do. You know, if I make a commitment that I'm going to make 10 sales calls today, I make mm-hmm. 10 sales calls. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about is this person too important? Am I going to interrupt them? Are they going to say no? It's just I've, I've made the commitment. And You know, when you first do that, it can be a little scary, but after you do it and you practice doing it, it becomes a habit and like brushing your teeth. You know, I don't have to convince myself it's useful to do that anymore. It's just something I do. And that's where we want to eventually get to is having these commitments turn into actions that become habits that become part of the way you live your life.
0: Yeah, that's really good. This weekend I was reading uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear and he talks about like not taking a day off of like don't take two days off in a row when you're developing a habit. And it makes me think of that, right? That I'm going yeah. to, if I'm hundred percent committed, hundred percent responsible, I'm not going to take a day off. I'm going to find a way.
1: Yeah. I, I, I teach don't even take one day off in the, in the beginning. Research shows that you need about 30 days mm-hmm. to change the neural pathway in your brain. So if you're changing a thought habit, a belief, which is really important, most people are not succeeding because of their limiting beliefs. Beliefs, they're not even aware they have. For changing a physical behavioral habit, those sweet spots usually about two months, 66 days, with some research that came out of a study in London a, a couple of years ago. So if you miss that one day, I tell people, the next day is like day one again. And that's why most people never get those habits fully ingrained, mm-hmm. because they keep stopping and starting. And what happens, first you miss one day, and then you miss two, and then you miss three, and then you miss your whole vacation, because you're on vacation. You know, yeah. and eventually you're not doing it anymore.
0: So how have people that you've worked with applied that to their lives? Like we're talking about exercise, but what are other ways that people have applied what you just said to their everyday life or maybe their work?
1: Well, one of the things I teach in the book is called scorekeeping for success. Mm
0: -hmm. In fact, there's
1: now something online called the Seinfeld method. There was a comedian asked Jerry Seinfeld, he said, you know, you're very funny, Uh, What what advice would you give to a young comedian and Jerry is reported as saying every day take one hour and write jokes? And he said then on your calendar X it off in red And you never want to have a day where there's not a red X you want to keep the string going 100 days 200 days 300 days 400 days Now every joke you write won't be funny, but if you don't sit there and do that You're not going to get jokes I do that for writing you know I write for an hour a day I don't care where I am I'm on an airplane I'm if I'm doing a seminar I do it in my room at night etc I record so many podcasts so many YouTube videos so many you know uh, Facebook lives every week etc those are commitments that have become habits to my lifestyle um, people do it with their exercise I, I we we teach something called the mirror exercise which is every night before you go to bed You talk to yourself in the mirror and you appreciate yourself because we know that our inner child responds to appreciation Uh, you know one of the five love languages that Gary Chapman writes about in his book is words of affirmation we all want affirmation and so what happens is I can say to myself in the mirror Jack I want to acknowledge you for the following things today you wrote another chapter for your book you did two great interviews you ate healthy you passed up dessert so we acknowledge ourselves for what we accomplished any disciplines we kept, you know, you read for an hour whatever. And then also any, any uh, temptations you overcame, like you didn't eat dessert, you didn't stay up till three in the morning playing words with friends, you know, whatever it is that you did. And then you end with, I love you. Well, I have a woman in New York who's been doing this for 1,776 days as of today. Wow. And she was one of these kind of bitchy new york type people, you know real hard and tough person yeah. now she 's one of the sweetest, nicest people i 've ever met you you 'd think she lived in California but or or Minnesota nice Minnesota people exactly. and so so what happens is that you can transform yourself if you keep things going on on a level and she said now it's like food i wouldn't want to go through a day without the mental food as well as the physical food i put into my body and that's why meditation is so important to do every day Mm -hmm. i teach something called the hour of power in the book and it's 20 minutes of meditation 20 minutes of reading something uplifting inspiring or educational not a novel and then something uh 20 minutes of exercise whether it's aerobic exercise or high intensity training pilates yoga but I recommend something to get your body moving, so your energy is going, you're detoxing your body, and so forth. You do those three things, this hour of power, and you're going to be wiser, healthier, and more uh, successful at the end of the year.
0: So in that example, I'm just hearing the importance of doing it every day. And I remember listening, I was thinking of listening to one of your audio programs on a way to a talk with some athletes. This was maybe five years ago, you know, uh, I think it was a DVD you could, you could put in your, in your car, I still have it in my car, <laughs> but I remember you talking about the mirror test. Um, and I really like that idea has, do you encourage people to say it out loud or can you say it in your head what do you think is most powerful? And has there been any, anyone that has, maybe I'm just thinking maybe there might be some uh, people that might say, oh, I, you know, that's not for me, but I want you to kind of describe why it could be for everyone. Sure.
1: You know, anything new is not for me. You know, it's like, you know, yeah. I, I just recently got into essential oils these oils that you can actually diffuse in your room and you can rub on your hands and smell them. Things like lavender and frankincense. Yeah opened up a whole new world for me. And, you know, three years ago, I would have said, oh, that's the stuff they put in the spa when you go get a massage. That's you know, who needs that? That's not for me. Man, The manly man approach, you know. My but, wife has scented candles, you know, so what? And perfume, whatever. So I think a lot of times when we don't understand something and it's new, we tend to poo-poo it because we don't understand it. And one of the things we do is we talk to ourselves all day long. Uh, Some poor doctoral student figured out that we think fifty to 60,000 thoughts a day. And the majority of those thoughts for the majority of people are negative. I can't do that. I'm not smart enough. That's not going to work. There's no men left in town to marry. I'm going to lose my job, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so if we can replace that negative self-talk with positive self-talk, it actually affects our health. Because whenever we're thinking a negative thought, It literally creates a vibrational waste product in your body. Now, what do I mean by that? There's an emotion you feel. All negative emotions actually create toxins that end up in your liver. This Mm. is one of the reasons that a lot of people are sick. I know this sounds woo and strange, but we know that rose has a vibration that basically makes you feel good, makes you open, opens your heart. Why do we give roses to people? You know, people show up on the date with flowers, roses on Thanksgiving, rose perfume, very, very wonderful joy, creating kind of fragrance. So when we don't understand that, we just kind of poo-poo it because we don't want to look stupid. We, we think it's weird, whatever. So I think when people hear talking to themselves in the mirror, that sounds like something a crazy person would do. But right. we're talking to ourselves all day long anyway. Yeah. So now we're going to intentionally, for yeah. just a few moments, replace some of that negative self-talk with positive self-talk, which builds our self-esteem, builds our confidence, acknowledges our success, acknowledges our Uh, progress, acknowledges our disciplines and our, you know, the things we're committed to and not being succumbing to the things we shouldn't be doing. And so that is very powerful. Now, as far as doing it out loud, I recommend that as long as it makes sense to do it. So if you're kids are in the next room and I think dad's lost it you know you could do it silently to yourself Uh, but I do it in the hotel I still do this I I learned this I would say 20 years ago and um, so my wife knows I do it so if she walks in it's not a big deal and I when I first did it I said honey I'm gonna be talking to myself in the mirror it's not I'm crazy Um, it's an exercise I'm doing we're gonna see how it works I used to beat myself up if I misplaced the keys Mm-hmm. I go, oh, Jack, you're so stupid. You never can find anything. And now if I misplace the keys, it's, well, I misplaced the keys. Let's go look for them. I don't have that negative self-talk. It's like it's like we're putting plants in that crowd out the weeds so the weeds disappear and we only have positive thoughts. That takes a while to do that, You know, uh, at least a month uh, to start seeing real impact, but it's worth it.
0: So one month and you'd start seeing an impact, maybe sooner. So I appreciate you saying that. Jack, I think I was... Kind of in, similar to you that I used to think that beating myself up like would help motivate myself. You know, that, that, right. um, when I was in college, I was a really good runner, um, but I kept on getting in my own way. And I thought, well, the more I think about that hard race and that difficult race and how much I failed, you know, I'd be motivated for the next one. But it was quite the opposite. So I try to practice some self-compassion too. <laughs> Sometimes I lose right.
1: <laughs> No, I can relate. I actually ran track as well. And and then they tried to make me a long distance runner. i i never really achieved that. But when I was running even a half mile, I was like, you know, come on, you wuss. Don't you know, I was doing that kind of stuff. And now it's like, you know, come on, you have God's energy behind you. You can do this. You're amazing. You're and I I I heard this person, he's the world's triathlon champion double triathlon where they run they do two triathlons two days in a row I mean I can't even imagine that and they were interviewing him and he said what made you able to do this he said I stopped listening to my inner critic I started talking to it instead
0: nice nice powerful yeah so a few other questions I have about some of the content in your book I really like this idea of limiting beliefs and moving past those limiting beliefs and you said something earlier that many times we don't even realize we have those limiting beliefs so tell us a little bit about um the structure that you give in the book of just identifying those limiting beliefs and like how do we move forward towards beliefs that really are going to build us up or help us be more successful or reach our goals
1: sure well basically i think i was writing about that in the area of money and a lot of us have limiting beliefs in the area of money you know money doesn't grow on trees and it's easier for, it's harder, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into the heaven. Money's the root of all evil, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and, and nobody in our family's ever made money. You know, if you want money, it means you're, you're, you're greedy. There's a lot of stuff. So what you have to do is first of all, just watch your thoughts. This is why meditation is so powerful. It's, you sit there and as you're thinking about things, you can watch what you're thinking and you develop this witness. And then you begin to go, wow, You know, I'm thinking this negative thought over and over. Whether it's about money, or there's no no available women in town, or all the good jobs are taken. You know, um, gonna go bankrupt, gonna die from COVID-19. You start seeing that, then you have to say, okay, is that thought? There's a lot of different questions you could ask yourself, but the the one, the main one is, is this thought serving me? And it's not. You know, what would be then you could ask yourself, where does this thought come from? Most of our thoughts come from our parents, from our schooling we grow up, from the culture we grow up in, perhaps from the church we go to, et cetera. And then what's the opposite thought? You know, the opposite of money is the root of all evil could be money is the root of all philanthropy. Money is the root of all generous giving in my family. Money is the root of great education for my children. You know, So we start to shift the, the belief. What's the opposite? And then what we have to do is what would be the benefit of thinking this thought and start to see, you know, if I think this thought, where am I going to end up? If I think that other thought, where am I going to end up? You know, now that I have this new thought, we have to implant it through repetition, just like with the mirror exercise, think, begin yourself. So this is where affirmations come through. So you create the opposite thought. You know, I have everything I need to accomplish anything I want instead of I'm stupid or I didn't go to college or, you know, whatever. And then when you, you want to repeat that, And what I recommend in the morning and right before you go to bed. And what happens in the morning when you first get up, you're kind of in that half asleep, half awake state. Great time if you have some three by five cards or your phone with your affirmations in it, whatever. Just read them. If you can read them out loud, great. Read them with feeling. And then I recommend people close their eyes and see what their life would look like if they were actually achieving that, well, you know, if you were living mm-hmm. that life based on that belief. Mm-hmm. And then do it again before you go to bed because mm-hmm. what you think about right before you go to bed, your subconscious is going to play with more through the night mm-hmm. and into your hippocampus, into your memory. And um, unfortunately, most people are watching the negative news or they're watching some terrible movie You know, where there's a lot of violence. That's what's getting imprinted.
0: I think that last part is really powerful about envisioning And doing some imagery and visualization about what would my life look like if I believed this, right? And even imagining that. And I'm thinking about how then that becomes shaping your identity and like who you are, if you can continue to imagine yourself that way.
1: Exactly. You know, I think it was uh, Zig Ziglar said, worrying is negative goal setting. It's visualizing and thinking about the exact result you don't want. So what you want to do when you find yourself in a negative belief or a negative thought or a worrying thought is to ask yourself, what's the opposite? What do I want to be experiencing? Focus on what you want. Martin Luther King said, focus on what you want, not what you don't want. He didn't give a speech called, I have a complaint. He gave a speech called, I have a dream. And so he had a lot to complain about. People were blowing up his church, trying to kill him, et cetera, threatening his family. And so he said, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on what I want the world to look like where all the young boys and girls are judged, not by the quality, by the color of their skin, but by the quality of their character. And have we achieved that fully yet? Obviously not. Are we further ahead than we were in the 1960s? Obviously yes. So basically, we have to keep working toward and focusing on what we want. So always be spending your time talking about, thinking about, visualizing, planning for the future you want, not what you don't want.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So, Jack, one of the things that I ask everybody who's on the show is ask them about how they define what failure is and what uh, a time that they failed and what they learned from it. So, what is your definition of failure?
1: Well, my definition is failure is simply a delay in results, meaning that you're working towards something and you tried something and it didn't work. So, you're trying to get your kid to go to bed. You try a little technique, it doesn't work. You failed. (laughs) <laughs> you try something else and maybe you fail and you try something else, you know, and that works. So that's an easy example We learn to walk by falling down, you know, if our parents had said if you fall down 20 more times We obviously you're a you know, just a serial failure and we're not going to work with you anymore that would no, be one so would ever, no one would ever do that, you know <laughs> uh, And so the word fail fail if you take the I and put a little line on it, it becomes fall fall and so when we fall down, we get up. Uh, there's a great story about Tom Watson, who was the CEO of IBM, who uh, one of his uh, vice presidents had a huge failure to cost the company millions of dollars. And, and the vice president went in and said, I, I expect you're wanting me to submit my resignation now. And he said, God, no, we just spent several million dollars educating you on what doesn't work. So, no, we want you to be here. That was a great lesson. So, the idea being that we can learn from our failures and then, then try something else. And mm-hmm. the idea is you, no one is a failure. Mm-hmm. You had a failure experience, mm-hmm. but a lot of us then will label ourselves as a failure. And at that point, we kind of become hopeless. Um, and I can tell you story after story of homeless people, people in, uh, you know, halfway houses, people that were in uh, addiction centers, et cetera, that I've worked with and helped that are now super successful, have multiple businesses, written books, et cetera. And, and their failures actually made them more relatable to in terms of now that they're they're teaching, they can talk about, hey, look, I was where you were, I know what that's like, but then I discovered this, and now my life's great. Would you like me to talk talk to you about what I discovered? And that becomes your sales pitch for your book, your seminar, your coaching program, whatever it is. You're you know enrolling person into AA or whatever it might be.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. When I think about the times that I struggled the most, like that makes me incredibly passionate about what I do. It was like those college days where I was really struggling as a runner, getting in my own way. It's like, I don't want anyone else to feel that. So I think it's fueled my passion for you, Jack. Can you give us an example of a time that was sure. so great for you and and how you applied this practice of what you're saying? Like, you know, fail equals fall.
1: Well, a couple of things. I, I started two businesses back in my 30s, both of which didn't succeed. Um, and I had investors that, that didn't get paid back. You know, $20,000, it wasn't huge. But I felt terrible about that. And what I looked at was that I was a great trainer, speaker, coach, therapist, but I wasn't a good business person. Okay. So I had okay. to study business and finance and management and all of that stuff, which wasn't the thing I was most you know, naturally drawn toward. But if I didn't know it and I couldn't do it, I was going to keep not succeeding. So I basically surrendered to that. And I learned how to manage money, for example. That was not was something I never really wanted to do. But after having made several bad investments that cost me tens of thousands of dollars, I started reading about it. I started talking to financial advisors. I got myself into some mastermind groups. Um, so I think sometimes our failures catch our attention. You know, my dad had to have an accident uh, it almost cost him his life in an automobile to wake up to that he needed to be taking better care of himself, just, you know, not being so stressed out. So sometimes we have to have those experiences. I went through a divorce, it was very painful. And um, I lost literally all of my money, I, I got to keep my company. But my ex-wife got all the cash, the bonds, the stocks, the properties, whatever. And I was really upset about that for a while. Uh, But what I learned from that, more than anything, was that I I could have been a better husband. I actually initiated the divorce because the marriage kind of died. But uh, I realized I traveled too much. I wasn't there as much as I should have been for her. Happily married now for the last 21 years, working out really well. Because I'm putting more time into it. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've learned how to communicate better and reread John Gray's Men Are From Ours and so forth. But I think also that um, I've learned how to rebuild a business because I literally was, I was stuck with nothing at that point. And yeah. I had to like really rebuild my wealth back up to what it is now. Mm-hmm. It's really what got me to write the success principles because I I needed something uh, along with my son in bed, you know, asking me about why we were richer than most other people. <laughs> so, but the point was that doing that and, and doing all the promotion and learning more than I even knew about promoting books, uh, it, it was the impetus to a whole new chapter of my life that wouldn't, have. I, I probably would have started coasting just on the income from the success yeah. from Chicken Soup for the Soul. So in one level, mm. I look back and say it was the universe saying, no, no, you still have some very important work to do. And we're not going to let you not do it
0: wow that's powerful and i think what you just said is gold like our failure catches our attention and it makes me think about what i've read about chicken soup for the soul and how many numerous publishers that you brought that uh proposal to or the first draft and no one published it right and if you would have just given in and said, Yeah, that's not for me, or believe that limiting belief. It's like you wouldn't have impacted all the millions of people. Or, you know, if you wouldn't have written success principles and coasted, you know, think about all the people that you wouldn't have impacted, me included, wow. you know. So I just think about that ripple effect of of failure with particularly with this chicken suit for the soul. What did you do to kind of move on from that and just keep going? What was the mental practice you used there?
1: Well. We submitted that book to 144 publishers who said no. In New York, we had three days of meetings, seven meetings a day. 21 publishers said no, stupid title, people don't read short stories, on and on. And then- (laughs) Our our agent gave us the book back and said, you know, I can't sell this. So we went to, uh, I think it was the Book Publishers Expo of America, where all the publishers come for their trade shows to introduce their new books to the bookstore owners. And uh, we walked the floor, going from publisher to publisher to publisher, saying, you know, would you publish our book? Would you publish our book? It was late on the third day after hundreds of rejections, that this one publisher in Florida, which was very small, said, We'll read it. I mean most people wouldn't even take the manuscript because we weren't we weren't known. We didn't have a platform, as they say. And um so they read it, they liked it, they said they'd publish it, no advance. We said, okay, we're just glad to get it published. And um, we said, how many books do you think you'll sell the first year? They said 20,000. We said that's not our vision. He said, what's your vision? We said hundred thousand by Christmas and uh a hundred a million and a half in a year and a half. And we sold 135,000 by Christmas and we sold 1.3 million, just missed a little bit um, in a year and a half. And he laughed at us when we said that, he said, you guys are crazy. We said, no, we have an entrepreneurial spirit. We know what we're doing. We have a, you know, we know, so we, we, we did something we call the rule of five. Yes. Uh, which is also in our workbook in the book. It's also every day you do five action steps toward the achievement of your goal. So we would call five radio stations, see if they would interview us. We'd call five newspapers and see if they would interview us for their, you know, often called the women's section, the view section, whatever they call it in the newspaper. We'd call five bookstores and see if they had the book. If they didn't have it in stock, we'd talk to them about that. We called five churches and see if we could come give us a talk at their church and sell books in the back of the room or in their bookstore. So every day, for a year and, th- four, year and three months, we did five things a day, every day. And it wasn't until the 14th month after the book came out that we actually hit a bestseller list. Oh, but wow. it went from number 15 on the Wall Street, on the Washington Post. And then two weeks later, it was number 15 on the New York Times. Then it went up to number one, stayed there for three years. Wow. And uh, eventually, we had a Guinness Book World Record for having seven books on the New York Times list on the same day. and. Mm-hmm. Um, never been broken since then.
0: <laughs> that's phenomenal. Well, I'm thinking about how you knew exactly what you wanted and you, you know, you stuck with it regardless if they laughed at you. And one of the things I really like about your book and workbook is this, like you help people clarify what do they really want. And I think that's a lot of people don't necessarily know what they really want. So tell us about, you know, how people who are, who are listening or are maybe struggling with deciding what is it that they really want. And I think before we went live you and i were talking about like this time period of covid-19 more people i think are thinking and reflecting more people are coming to me just like looking for their purpose and looking for more clarity
1: yeah i think the pause that we're all in you know sheltering at home for many many people not being out in the world as much, many of us maybe not working like we used to, mm-hmm. or having to work online and maybe not having as much interaction, uh, not driving to work and having that commute to fight the traffic, it's that we have more time to think. And um, to, it's like a pause and reset. And yeah. we're thinking about our lives, we're thinking about our families and how much time we're spending with them, we're thinking about dreams we've had that maybe we put on hold you know, just to make money, uh, to pay the bills. We're thinking about the environment, you know, like the environment's degrading. We know that we're thinking about race relations. We're thinking about a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. that's been brought into our awareness, our health. We're thinking about that. And so I think it's a time when people are starting to ask questions they normally don't take the time to ask because you can only watch reruns of Breaking Bad and you know things like that so many times that you're starting to think and wonder, am I doing what I want to do? Why aren't I more happy? Why isn't my relationship more fulfilling? Why aren't I feeling more connected? to my kids? Why aren't I, you know, where I thought I'd be 20 years ago, etc. And so I think the work that you and I are doing, where we are helping people clarify their purpose, get in touch with what they really want. So, you know, we have exercises, both in the book, and also that you can access online, guided visualization to help you get in touch with your purpose. Once you know your purpose, then you have to say, what is a vision of my life that will fulfill that purpose? So my purpose is to inspire and empower people to live their highest vision in a context of love and joy. Mm -hmm. So I do that through interviews like this. I do it through my trainings. I do it through the books I write. I do it through my podcasts, my YouTube videos, et cetera. Everything I do is designed to do that. If it doesn't do that, then I'm not interested in playing. And so it's taken me a few going down some wrong roads to realize I shouldn't have done that because that wasn't aligned with my purpose because it didn't work out and so the how to get in touch with what you want is to simply take some time and I you know I, I recommend quiet time if you want to put on some earphones maybe some calming music like you know, they call it spa music or yeah. environmental music whatever and then ask yourself the questions in the seven areas of your life which we outline in the books both books we have our career we have our financial life we have our relationships, we have our health and fitness, we have our, just goals we want to achieve because we want to achieve them, I call them personal, it might be you want to climb Mount Everest or climb the Eiffel Tower or visit the Great Wall of China or write a poem, you know, whatever it might be, start a garage band, And then we have the area of contribution, making a difference in the world, and an area I call fun and recreation. Most people are not having as much fun as they would like right now. And, and fun is important, whether it's watching a comedy show, or dancing, a lot of you see these people like on TikTok now, they're all right. doing these dancing things, you know, and and it's fun. I mean, I, I dance along with some of them and I,
2: I, I enjoy myself. And you're in the present moment when you do that. There's things like meditation, uh, gratitude exercise that bring you into the present. Anyway, so once you have this time and you you devote, and, you, and then just ask yourself the question, if I could have the perfect life, if a genie came down and said, I grant you the wish, you can have the perfect financial life, What would your income be? What would your salary be? How much money would you have in your retirement account? Uh, Would you have an accountant? Would you have a financial advisor? Would you be in stocks and bonds? Would you be holding gold? Whatever it is, just ask yourself if you could have anything, what would it be? No limits. And, you know, most people don't say billionaire. I mean, you know, that's not what most people want, but they would like financial freedom. They'd like to own their own home, et cetera. Then the next question is, what would I like in terms of uh, my career? And what would I love to do? And a lot of people are realizing right now, I don't love my work. Yeah. And is there a way to monetize doing what I love to do? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have found a way to do that. And as, as I think it was um, Thomas Edison said, when your vocation feels like a vacation, you've arrived.
0: Ah, and so nice. I, love,
2: I love what I do. I mean, right now, this is the third interview I've done today, and I'm having as much fun with you as I would had on the other two because I'm just I love teaching this is what I do,
0: yeah.
2: And then then you look at the area of relationships. If you could have as many friends, the kind of you know spouse relationship, children relationship, getting along with your in-laws, more time with people, less fighting, more love, better sex. What would be going on there? And then you just take yourself through those seven areas. And I would say give yourself three, four, five minutes to just close your eyes and visualize and and just imagine. A perfect life in each of those areas. Then write it down. Make sure you capture it, because obviously, you know, we've all had a dream. Like we wake up in the morning, remember our dream is great, and then we go to the bathroom, we come back, we can't remember our dream. Exactly. So it's important to write them down as soon as you. My friend Mark Victor Hansen says, as soon as you think it, ink it. Now we have a record of it. And then what you want to do after that is you can start doing an affirmation about that life. I'm now so happy and grateful that I have a life where I'm earning, you know, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Or I'm so happy and grateful that I now have a hundred and in my case, you know, 95 pound body, my wife's case would be 137 pound body, you know, whatever it is, you start affirming that using affirmations like we talked about earlier, visualizing what you would like it to be like, and then ask yourself, what are the five action steps I could take every day, that would begin to make that happen. So if it was losing weight, I could cut out sugar cut out refined carbs. I could eat more vegetables. I could stop eating after eight o'clock at night, which gives me a more, what they call an intermittent fast. Um, I could drink more water. We know that when we don't drink water, the fat will store the toxins in your body. And I could read something motivational about weight loss. So there's five things I could do every day. So anyway, I don't want to go through a whole course here, but that's the general idea of what I would say about how to get in touch with what you want. And don't, don't don't let the critic come in and say, we don't know anybody, we don't have enough money, we're not connected, we can't afford that. All that doesn't matter when you're hoping and wishing and dreaming. Just act mm-hmm. as if the genie came down, get it on paper. The how will show up out of doing the affirmations and the visualization and the reading, and then you'll be inspired to take the actions that you need to take.
0: Excellent. And what I liked about the workbook, so I'll just give people as they're uh, watching us, you know, like that you have, what do I want? And then why do you want it? So I thought that right. was really powerful to really connect with like, what's the benefits? Uh, Jack, one question I had for you is do you think it's better to or more powerful to identify your purpose before your vision? Or do you think it, does it matter which one you do first?
1: I think it's more efficacious. Um, it's a big word. It's more effective to yeah. uh, do, <laughs> to do it before. Right. I think, um, uh, the guy who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey, said, you don't want to get to the top of the ladder and realize the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. Mm-hmm. So if you know in your in your heart of hearts that you're supposed to help children become empowered or you're supposed to uh, work with homeless people or you know that you're supposed to raise three healthy children, that's, that's enough in life. That's for you for, Feeling. If mm-hmm. you know that, then you can set goals that are in alignment with that. Your your vision can be in alignment with that. Now, some people do a vision exercise first, get in touch with what they want. Okay. And then when they do that, it starts to become clear because of the things they want, what their purpose is. But the reason we have why do you want it in the book, mm-hmm. you know, I remember I was living on the west side of Los Angeles in, in the Santa Monica area where a lot of rich people live, Pacific Palisades, Santa Monica. And I was driving an old um, uh, Toyota and everyone else had uh, you know, Lexuses and BMWs and Mercedes Benzes. And so I was doing this exercise in a training and I said, you know, I want a Lexus. And then the question was, well, what will that give you? Well, then I won't be looking like I can't afford to live in Santa Monica. And what will that give you? Well, then I'll, I'll, I'll feel like I belong. And what will that give you? A feeling of belonging. And What will that give you? Well, I won't be stressed out anymore. What will that give you? Peace. What do you really want? I want peace. Now, do I need to spend $70,000 to find peace? No. So sometimes when you look at the why, you realize you can get to the why in a more direct way without having to achieve some other goal. I had a friend who is now a counselor. He's become one of the greatest experts on millennials, and he works with corporations teaching them how to fulfill their needs so they don't leave. And he was asked by a billionaire, what do you want to do when you grow up? He said, well, I'm going to graduate college. I'm going to get my MBA. I'm going to start a business. I am going to become very successful. And when I'm 45, I'm going to retire. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to teach college kids how to fulfill, how to pursue their dreams. And he says, by then they won't trust you. And why do you want to be that old? And he (laughs) said, why don't you drop out of school now and start doing that? And so he literally dropped out of college and he's making millions a year in his 20s teaching the very thing he thought he had to wait until he was 45 and a successful businessman to do. So sometimes you can go directly toward it without having to go through all the hoops that you think you have to do.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate you answering that question. So a few things as we wrap up, Jack. So I think with all the things that are going on in the world and, you know, what you wrote about and success principles, what do you think that successful people are doing right now? maybe um, that they maybe don't even know about or, you know, that they don't practice or people that aren't as successful.
1: Well, I think, I think there's a number of things that I found out in our research on success is number one. I just wrote the foreword for two books this last year. One was called the billionaire secret. Okay. And the other was called uh, from homeless to billionaire. Okay. And what, what I found out in writing the forest for those books, one person had watched the movie, the secret, Yep. When they were nineteen. They were homeless in in um, in um, Phuket in in Thailand, and uh, they read the secret, and then they he said. And I started reading your books, Brian Tracy, you mm-hmm. know, Napoleon Hill, and Tony Robbins, and he, now he's thirty five. Fifteen years later, he's worth three billion dollars, and wow. so and, and what he does, he visualizes every day. Okay. He reads every day. He meditates every day. So now I go to the other book where he interviewed 21 billionaires. Took him two and a half years to get to all these people because they're not easy to get to. These were 17 different industries, 17 different countries. And he traveled around the world. And he found out that every one of them got up before 5.30 in the morning. Every one of them had morning disciplines. They all exercised, including the 80-year-old they all meditated, which I was kind of surprised to find. I wouldn't have thought a guy living in China building, he was making windshields for cars, uh, half the windshields in the world are the ones he makes. And uh, he meditates every day, he exercises every day, he reads every day. And so those go back to our hour of power in the morning. So I think that's one thing everyone's doing. The other thing is, I think that many people are in fear right now, and you have to take yourself out of fear. When you're in fear, Your energy is in the back part of your brain. It's in the amygdala, which is where fear resides, Mm -hmm. and in the hippocampus where memory resides. So we start to scare ourselves. We remember bad things. We think it's going to happen again. We visualize the bad thing, and then we feel fear. Fear lowers your immune system, which you don't want to be happening right now with COVID-19 out there. And the other thing, it takes the energy out of the prefrontal cortex, which is where wisdom and creativity and rational thinking live. And so we need to be rationally thinking, we need to be wise, we need to have access to our creativity right now as we pivot our businesses, our lives to deal with this lockdown. I say that we're not going to go back to a a new normal, we're going to go back to a new better. But we have to create that, you know, uh, it's not going to happen by itself. I think was Einstein said, if you want to A better way to predict the future is to create it. If you want to predict the future, create the future you want. So I think all of us are being called to really design our life. So life by design rather than by default. And um, I would recommend
2: uh, spending time, a little time every day, maybe an hour a day, focused on self-development, self-improvement, working on your mindset through reading and affirmations, visualization, Mm -hmm. doing uh, belief change exercises, like in my book Mm -hmm. uh, I have I would say this too, and I'll give up my website, okay. uh, uh, Jack at jackcanfield.com. A couple times a year, I go online. I just do it. Anyone in our mailing list, I we mail them out and say Jack's going to do two or three one-hour free calls where he will lead you through a very powerful belief change exercise that involves guided visualization, involves NLP, involves t- you know all these very powerful tools. Mm-hmm. I normally only do in my live workshops, and. I did it in January this year. I had over a thousand people on each call from 17 different countries. I I did it again uh, just uh, in June earlier and I'll probably be doing it in the fall and again in like December or something. It's my way of just giving back uh, because limiting beliefs are are killing people right now. And uh, as I found the one thing, when people ask me, if you could do one thing to become more successful, what would it be? And I would say, discover what your limiting beliefs are and release them and replace them with positive beliefs. Because I find it's fear and limiting beliefs that are holding people back. A lot of people know what to do, but they're not doing it. And it's because their beliefs are keeping them from, beliefs of unworthiness, beliefs of I'm not smart enough, beliefs of you know, negative money beliefs, all the stuff we talked about. Once those beliefs are released and replaced, mm-hmm. then it's like you're taking the emergency brake out of your car and all of a sudden with no extra effort, you're going faster.
0: And people can find that on your website, jackcanfield.com. If they,
2: go, if they just go to jack at jackcanfield.com and just register to be in our mailing list, Perfect. then they'll receive a mailing when it's time to do that. Okay. There's some free giveaways on the website that people can access. All of our books are there. Our books are also on amazon.com, Barnesandnoble.com, And literally, if you haven't read the success principles, I do not need another dollar. I promise you. <laughs> uh, but... I promise you, if you read the book, it's going to help you achieve more of what you want. And if it doesn't do that, you send the book to me and I will I will refund the money of the book, even though I didn't get $24 or 19 or 17 or whatever you paid on Amazon. I've never had anyone do that. And I often sell, you know, in one day they might sell 500 books on amazon.com.
0: Awesome. Well, it's an incredible book. I love the workbook that goes with it. One of the things that I wanted to ask you, Jack, is you have a group coaching program coming up. I've been seeing it. Uh, advertised on uh, social media a few times. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. That's also on your website, Ignite Your Life. And you're doing it with Patty, who's worked with you for a long time. So tell us about that. I know the deadline for that is coming up soon.
1: Yeah, the course starts on July 1st. And uh, it's a four-month course. Uh, We're going to be meeting every two weeks for two hours. Uh, And then, uh, so it's twice a month and we're gonna be going through some of the principles but also doing some live coaching as well as just us teaching. And it'll be exercises like the ones you talked about in the workbook. So you'll Velcro the information to yourself. There's gonna be a Facebook page where people can go in every day and there'll be posts every day we're doing a lot of challenges. We're finding when we do challenges and people actually participate, we're going to have prizes for people who participate the most. I'm going to give away uh hour of consulting with me. You can use it any way you want. You, you can, we could do an interview like this with you. Uh, I can just consult with you like I would, if you were, coaching with me. I charge $2,500 an hour to coach. I don't do it that often uh, because I'm just doing other things that are more impactful in the world, but that's something you could win. Um, Also coaching with Patty. We're going to give away some free books, some other kind of prizes and so forth. So it's going to be fun and it's going to be engaging and powerful. And uh, we're going to look at one or two areas of your life that you want to choose to focus on for four months and have a major breakthrough not just learn something, but actually at the end of that month have changed something radically in your life so that you can be living differently than you're living now. Because I don't think, you know, reading a book is powerful. Mm -hmm. And and my book's powerful and a lot of people get transformation from that. But when you're working with a coach, a mentor, you're in a coaching program, it's a time-limited program. Four months, we're going to have experts come in additional calls on fitness, on business, on your environments. Your environments, environments control you. I mean, if you go into a church, you act differently than if you go into a nightclub. The environment's different.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so what
1: happens is we're the only animal on the earth that actually can change our environment to support us, mm-hmm. to do what we call inspire us instead of expires. And so mm-hmm. we're going to have an expert on that as well. And we'll have Q&A calls every month. There'll be some free coaching calls with Patty as well. So it's going to be very intensive. And uh, if you go to jackcampfieldcom forward slash club, that's that's okay. going to land you on the page. So you can register in time to start on July 1st because once it starts on July 1st, it's closed and it won't be open again.
0: Well, definitely. I'm going to go check that out. And I would encourage everyone to do that as well. And Jack, everything you said was gold. (laughs) So I am just so grateful that you were on the podcast, that you took this time to inspire thousands of people who are listening. And I encourage everybody to uh, go pick up the success principles and the workbook. So I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that you uh, published both of these. I know you've made such an impact on my life and I'm just one of many uh, millions of people. So thank you again for taking the time.
1: Oh, Thank you. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to share what I know with people.
0: Way to go for finishing another episode of the High Performance Mindset. I'm giving you a virtual fist pump. Holy cow, did that go by way too fast for anyone else?